Ultimately, putting yourself on a new timeline, it really can be as simple as making a new choice. And in 2017, in February, I made a choice. I was at the time working a nine to five job, selling women's shoes. I literally in a moment decided I'm a full-time YouTuber now. And within six months, my whole entire life changed. We don't get in life a reflection of what we want, but we always get a reflection of who we are being. And who we are being is representative of our vibration, how we're thinking, feeling, and acting. When you begin raising your vibration, you start to feel a certain level of freedom. The more I do what I love, the more success comes. The more I enjoy my life, the better I feel. I've had to constantly remind myself who I am, what I'm passionate about, the videos that do the best are the videos that I enjoy the most making. Do you have like a really wild mystical experience that you haven't shared before? Uh, yeah, there's, I could <laughs> share something. It's kind of out there. Hello, beautiful beings. Welcome back to the Know Thyself podcast where every single week we get the honor and privilege and opportunity to sit down with a brilliant mind, a deep soul to see what we can learn more about ourselves and the world around us at deeper and deeper levels. My guest today is, I would say, a spiritual content creator. He's got over a million and a half subscribers on YouTube sharing in digestible and approachable ways um, various different topics. And he really supports people finding themselves and supporting them on their awakening journey. Aaron Dowdy, thank you for coming on the show, my friend. Awesome, thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's cool to me see too. like people who like are living uh, a very similar path or, you know, in, in their desire to share and, um, you know, spread awakening and the evolution of consciousness. And like, you know, yeah. you see people creating these things online, but then you get to connect in person and like feel feel them more. So yep. it's been cool to, to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Same for you, man. It's yeah. cool to see what you're doing in the world. And it's cool to be able to connect with someone that's also, you know, has the same intentions of having similar impact in the world, you know? Yeah. So the theme of this podcast is going to be all about raising your vibration and really magnetizing a dream life, yeah. your dream life to you. And when people hear this term, it's a very new agey concept, raise your vibration. And a lot of times it can kind of come from this escapism paradigm of like just trying to avoid my shitty situations in life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, when we come to really, really understand what it, you know, fundamentally means at a deeper level, we can see that raising our vibration comes by um, really releasing what's holding us down in denser energies. And so, when you think and you hear the term raise your vibration, how do you see that it's more of a process of letting go what's holding your spirit from naturally rising up right. to its natural state yeah. than necessarily trying to do more things to make it happen? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a well explained. Um, a lot of times people, you know, they want to get somewhere else. And when it comes to raising vibration, it's like this, this thing to attain. And I want to start off by saying that sometimes you'll hear people say things like, you know, think better thoughts or like focus on something else if you're feeling negative emotion. And what I've learned is actually leaning into the uncomfortable sensations, leaning into the emotion allows the energy to integrate so that then the vibration can naturally begin to rise. And what quantum physics shows us is that everything is vibration. Everything is always moving. If you were to take everything and look at it under a microscope, even though you know a lot of things look very solid, it's vibrating at a certain rate of frequency. Now what happens is when we are attached to different perspectives, when we are attached to certain thoughts, when we are attached to labels, these attachments 
keep us in a certain rate of frequency. It keeps us in a certain level of consciousness. And what happens is that then, because we're attached to these things, it keeps us from actually raising to where we naturally are. Now, there is a quote that I have heard from, many people know about it from Abraham Hicks. It's this analogy of thinking of it like a, a bob on the ocean. And if you have a bob on the ocean, it's on the top of the ocean, just chilling. What happens is if you were to push that bob under the ocean, under the surface, by giving it resistance, it would then be under the surface. Now, if you wanted the bob to go back up to that of the top of the ocean, you don't have to push it back up. You don't have to talk it. You don't have to give it a whole bunch of positive affirmations or anything like that. What do you do? simply let go of the resistance, it naturally goes back up to the surface. In the same way, when it comes to elevating our level of consciousness or raising our vibration, our vibration is naturally high and the process of raising it, of getting it back up is so that we can then feel in higher vibrational emotions. But like I said, integrating the past emotion is key for that. And a lot of that is by understanding that it's about becoming aware of the attachments, becoming aware of what am I attached to? What are the people that I'm attached to? What are the thoughts? What are the emotions? Even deeper than that, what are the beliefs I'm attached to? Because our beliefs create our reality. We don't get in life a reflection of what we want because what we want, we lack. Many people can want many different types of things, but we always get a reflection of who we are being. And who we are being is representative of our vibration, how we're thinking, feeling, and acting. So becoming aware of those three things and becoming aware of where the attachments are from childhood, where the attachments are from the past, is where the freedom really begins. Much of my journey has been just becoming aware of these attachments, letting them go by becoming aware of them, because if you're not aware of them, you literally think this is the way reality is. And once you let that go, things naturally begin to align and as a result of that alignment, there's more synchronicity. You're in the right place at the right time. You're feeling higher vibrational emotions where you could literally feel high a majority of the time without using substances. And once, you, once you're aware that that's a potential, it then becomes a game of what can I let go of? What can I let go of to become free of? And as you do that, your vibration naturally begins to rise. You naturally are in more synchronous opportunities, you attract people who resonate with you at a deeper level. There's so many side effects that come from elevating, raising your vibration, but it comes as a result of letting go. What do you feel like are the qualities at that state when you start to release and find and bring awareness to the places within yourself, you're subconsciously yeah. or unconsciously holding resistance to, you start to feel more of that natural state. What qualities do you feel like you would attribute to who we are in our natural essence? You mean qualities as in like- Like a state of consciousness or state of being, for example, abundance, for example. Right. You know, freedom. Like yes. these, these words that point to uh, how we feel about reality once we are at our natural state. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's interesting. When you begin raising your vibration, you will start to feel a certain level of freedom. A lot of times it can be emotional freedom at first. But sometimes what happens is as you start feeling that freedom within you, you'll start seeing- different reflections in your life because we get in life a reflection of who we're being, you'll see things that have all, always been around you. But because you've shifted your energy, you're now able to perceive of it. Whereas before, maybe it was invisible because of the energy or it was invisible because of the state that you were in. Now, all of a sudden, you're able to see it or something actually links up because of it. 
But the most common benefits of it or qualities is a certain level of emotional freedom where also you just feel lighter versus carrying the repressed energy from childhood or the energies from, you know, that, that we've kind of like acquired growing up. As we become aware of it and we let that go, there's a certain feeling, a certain feeling of, uh, of freedom, of more joy, of more peace, of like following your passion that results as a side effect of it, as well as more abundance, whether that's abundance in love or an abundance of, uh, of, of money or whatever it is. It's all a reflection of the inner reality anyways, which is why a lot of raising your vibration is an inward journey more than anything else. It's in that process when somebody, you know, let's say you or I have a desire for a specific life, a career, yeah. a relationship. A lot of times, most of us fall under the illusion asking themselves, what do I need to do in order to get that? Instead of who do I need to become yeah. in order to become a vibratory match for that to come into my life? And so what has been your process and how you support people in uh, becoming a vibratory match to magnetizing what you desire into your reality? Yeah, if I... If I were to explain my process, I'll explain a little bit of my story yeah. because that has stemmed from the process has come from my own story of how I've been able to live my own dream life. And part of that comes from, uh, if I take you all the way back to 2012 when I went through my spiritual awakening, I was at the time working a nine to five job selling women's shoes. I worked at Barney's, no, I worked at the time at Nordstrom's in women's shoes. And I could see you selling some woman's shoes, man. Yeah, man. I, I did. I, would it, I buy did some it. woman's shoes if I was a girl. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I did it for. I did it for like eight years. I did it like right out of high school. Um, you just went straight to it. I it? went straight to it. I was going to college, and then I I found out that like there was this. Uh, I worked at the rack for a while, and then ended up going to the full line store, and it was like commission. And I thought that was really cool because there was some control over my paycheck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I ended up working there for years, and. To kind of, I mean, I feel like I should back up even just a little bit more to like explain the whole story. Yeah. But, um, but in general, in 2012, I went through a huge shift in consciousness when I learned meditation. And one of the reasons I learned meditation was because at the time I was kind of in a very like helpless state where I felt really addicted to different things, like codependent. So I was going to work every day. And at the time as well, I was told I had ADHD, which they would uh, prescribe me Adderall for, which the side effects of Adderall were you don't eat very much, you know, you don't sleep very well, like, cause it just kind of hypes you up a lot. So here I was during the day working that sales job, taking Adderall during the day. And then at nighttime, it was hard for me to sleep and eat. So what I would do is I would smoke cannabis. So I was during the day taking Adderall so that I could like focus at work. And then at nighttime, I was smoking cannabis just so I could sleep. And it was like this cycle that I felt on where I felt like super codependent on these things that I needed in order to feel like getting by. Then what happened is I was like, man, there's gotta be something else out there that can solve, that can like help this without needing to like be reliant on substances. And that's when what I did is I uh, went online and I looked up like non-side effects of like uh, like things I could do for, for ADHD. And that's when I came across meditation. And at first I had a lot of resistance to meditation. Um, but what I did is I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try this. I got nothing else to lose. And the first day or two of trying meditation, like nothing really happened. If anything, like shortly after that, I learned about the movie, The Secret. So I was like, don't think negative thoughts. And I was like, don't think negative thoughts. And I would sit there like, like almost like having this naughty thought, like just think something <laughs> negative, you know? And I would be so conflicted inside of myself. But then what I did is I decided that um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try it. The second or third day in, I had this feeling that my life was gonna change. 
And it came from simply deciding and learning about how to observe the thoughts. I read that somewhere. Don't try to control the thoughts. Don't try to like get them to go away, which is what I was doing. And I would then like think negative about it and feel resistance. So instead I would observe my thoughts and I would observe the thoughts coming into my mind and I would let them go. And I would just kept doing that. And within a few days, uh, within like one or two times of doing that even, I felt so different. I had all this spaciousness within me. I felt very present. And I started to become aware of many aspects of my life where I was living in similar patterns from my childhood. I was able to clearly see that there were beliefs I had that was being like infused in my reality. Like I was very consciously aware of the beliefs I had and how that was correlating to my experience. Within two weeks of meditating, and meditating just like once or twice a day in the morning and at night, my whole entire life changed. I started to feel more present. Um, I remember walking around my room after about a week of this, and I literally felt high. Like I felt high, and I thought like this is too good to be true. This feeling's going to go away somehow. And I and the funny thing was is I quit taking Adderall and I quit smoking weed like on the spot. And here I am feeling high, walking around my room like is this feeling going to go away? Like this feels too good to be true. And what ended up happening is my base point vibration, like I'm not enlightened, I'm not claiming to be enlightened or anything, but my base point vibration before this experience was about a three out of 10, where one feels horrible, 10 feels great. I would be at a three, I would take Adderall or I would smoke cannabis and I'd move up to like a five or a six and then it would drop back down. All of a sudden, I feel like a seven or eight out of 10. Like I literally feel high. I'm like, I don't even want to like smoke or drink or anything. And if I did, it would bring my vibration down. It was really weird. It's like all of a sudden when I do these things that used to make me feel good, I don't feel good. So then here I am not doing anything at all. And also uh, feeling like, like really different about myself. And I remember going to work and people are like, what's so different about you? Like there's something different about you. You're way more present now. Um, and within two or three weeks, my whole entire life changed. Another aspects of this I'll just kind of touch on is back in childhood from seven to 15 years old, I had a certain pattern in my life that I became aware was like recycling itself over and over again. That pattern was from seven to 15 years old, I had like no freedom at all really. I had an ex-stepmom in my life who was very controlling and manipulative and she kind of ran the show. And my brother and I weren't allowed to like have friends. We had to earn going to school activities. We had to like sneak to the other side of the house to get enough food to eat. We were normally like locked outside doing yard work all day. That was my childhood from seven to 15. Then what happened is my dad divorced her when I was 15. I had all this freedom. I was allowed to watch TV. I was allowed to have friends. I was allowed to get enough food to eat. It was like a whole new world. But there was something about that that felt scary. I remember, like I remember the moment when it was like there was something happening and I was like, even though back with my brother and, and with my ex-stepmom, like if they weren't home, one of us would be like, what we'd be watching television. We'd like sneak inside to watch television. We'd have like our hand on the remote with the previous channel so that if someone came home, we just push the button back to previous channel so they didn't know what we were watching. And we'd throw the remote and go run outside to pretend to keep working. Even though that was the kind of energy we lived in, it was certain. We knew what to expect every day. We knew our box and what felt safe. So here, 15 years old, my dad divorces my ex-stepmom. I have all this freedom, but there was something subconsciously that felt that felt like weird about that. So what happened is, unbeknownst to me, familiar patterns that I just kept perpetuating, a year or two after that, I attracted an ex-girlfriend who was not 
like abusive, like, like necessarily, but very controlling and jealous. So for about four years, I was in a relationship with this girl, three years too long, just like my dad who modeled relationships that he was in too long, you know? So I'm in this relationship with this girl who's extremely jealous and controlling, and I'm always in trouble with her and all of this stuff, but that probably felt familiar. And then what happened is I work at Nordstrom's and Women's Shoes. I worked in BP Brass Plum Shoe Department, which is like the more cheaper shoes, you know? And then what happens is I broke up with that girl finally. And once I broke up with her, within one week, I got transferred to a better shoe department, Salon Shoes. I get transferred to Salon Shoes. And in that department, which is more commission, it's like higher price points, like designer shoes, you know? The manager of that department, though, is the same exact personality structure as my ex-stepmom. She was controlling. She was protected by upper management. So nothing we said to HR would, like, get her fired, even though she would do the craziest things and get away with it, the way she talked to people and what she would do. It was so similar to the energy dynamic, and it was something that for two years— from like 2000, you know, 10 to 2012, she was in my life. We tried getting her fired. We couldn't, even though we had legit reasoning, like go to HR, you know, but she was protected. And then funny enough, I take you back to 2012 when I learned meditation, I became aware of the beliefs that I had. And one of the beliefs that I had was that women try to control me. I need to fight for my freedom. There's something wrong with me. There's like shame that was there. And I would almost just put up with someone that was like talking down to me, you know? And what happened was within two weeks of learning that of that meditation process and observing my thoughts, I also had this like epiphany where after my, that was like a spiritual awakening where I became more aware of like a deeper dimension to myself. All of a sudden I became so grateful for my childhood. I also realized that my ex-stepmom, who's like narcissistic and and is uh, like has that personality, um, I realized that she was treated the same way by her dad. Not that it made it right. And I was like, oh, I'm so grateful from seven to 15, I had no freedom. But I realized that people are doing the best they can with the level of consciousness they're at. And when I realized that, and I looked to her childhood, I'm like, wow, she told me stories from her childhood that were very similar to the way she treated my brother and I. And I could then see and have a little bit more compassion for her. But ultimately what happened is I forgave her. I forgave her. And in a weird way, I reframed that past meaning to where then instead of life was happening to me, I realized that all that childhood that I missed out on led me to eventually having that spiritual awakening, which I'm extremely grateful for. Now, within that two weeks of meditation, I forgave my ex, I forgave my ex-stepmom. And that manager that was in my that was in my life, she worked there for she worked for Nordstrom's for like 10, 15 years. She got fired within that same week. So as I was, and I know it sounds egotistical to say, it's like, are you saying, bro, that like you're forgiving of your ex-stepmom? Then like the now that like that pattern wasn't relevant because I forgave my ex-stepmom, that then that left for my life. If reality is a reflection of who you are being and you heal a certain energy within yourself, it's crazy how fast people that no longer like that no longer resonate with the new version of you will shoot out of your life. And it's crazy how quickly people can come into your life that resonate with the, the, the real you. So within two weeks, not only was I learning that meditation and I was meditating, started feeling completely different about myself, but also I went through a process of forgiving and that forgiving of my ex-stepmom completely changed that pattern to where then I don't have to attract women in my life trying to control me because I also became aware of that belief that I had. And then all of a sudden, I feel completely different about myself. And from that point moving on, my life changed in so many different ways. Um, that really catapulted me into like going into this journey 
of learning more and more about myself to where then five or six years later, I was working at Barney's New York, different company, same thing, woman's shoes, but then I committed to daily videos on YouTube in February of 2017, and that's when my whole entire life changed, is when I committed to that new identity. And when you talked earlier about the vibration of who you are being, I literally in a moment decided I'm a full-time YouTuber now while I had a nine-to-five job selling women's shoes, and within six months, my whole entire life changed because I, ch- I decided this is who I am now. I started embodying that energy, which was of a higher frequency. It was in alignment with my purpose. It was in alignment with my passion. So anyways, that's like my journey of raising my vibration, and what I teach people a lot is a lot of it's healing and looking at the familiar childhood dynamics that you had when you were a kid to then see how how am I recreating this in my life now? What in my partners, the people I'm attracted to, what energy is that that may remind me of familiar childhood dynamics that I had? So becoming aware of those energies is very powerful for healing. Uh, recontextualizing childhood and giving it a new meaning, I found to be extremely powerful in like the live events that we do. I see a lot of people transformed from that, realizing that you wouldn't, most people that follow my content and people that watch your podcast, they're people that have been through some form of childhood trauma that has probably catalyzed some form of pressure that has allowed them to go through a spiritual awakening. So as crazy as some of the trauma people went through was, because many people, by the way, have been through way worse things than I've been through. However, even though there's these crazy things that happen in childhood, it creates the pressure that then leads you to a spiritual awakening, to the more authentic version of you, to following your purpose or whatever it is. So there's a lot of healing that comes with that. And between that and also meditation is huge for me. Meditation, observing your thoughts, stops the momentum of the negative thinking and identifying with those thoughts. And that's where you can also become aware of your, the, the emotions you have because all emotion stems from some meaning we give things. Emotion is created from meaning, from belief. We must first believe something to be true to generate emotion. So a big part of raising vibration is awareness, becoming aware of the beliefs, the labels, the patterns, the familiar childhood dynamics. The second step is letting go and feeling it to heal it. Letting yourself feel it. The triggers that come up are a good thing. Triggers that come up are revealing to you what's still on the inside. And what happens is then you can feel it to heal it, which allows it to actually leave the body. And then from there, you get to make a new choice about who you are. And that choice can be something that you're passionate about. It could be a new version of yourself. It could be you giving yourself permission to be who you came here to be. And that three-step process there is what I've is really like, I've noticed helped so many people and helped me to really elevate my own vibration to the highest level possible. Man, there's a lot to, I know, to unravel lot. from that. <laughs> no, that was really, it was beautiful. There's there's so much we could spend the rest of the podcast diving into. And I'm excited to because you going through this firsthand experience of, you know, and sharing that journey, I think is going to be really resonant with a lot of people who maybe have felt at times or currently feel in their life that they're going through a relationship, a job where they're yeah. not in full alignment and they can feel the next level that is possible to them. And as you spoke to, as you reconcile those things that you're still unhealed within your psyche, within your somatic, like within your body. Yeah then those things become revealed to you. And it's like your dharma, your purpose, these things in life, they choose you. And it's it's, yeah. it's a uncovering of like un- unwrapping those gifts. Yeah. But first we have to find what they are. And oftentimes, like you spoke to, they come by virtue of those challenges, those resistances, those traumas. Um, and so at a deep fundamental level, I see how there was these stages 
of consciousness that you felt mm. safe at. Yeah. And then there was a new level where you started to pay attention and actually observe what was going on within your body. And that, unless you're paying attention, you can't really see what's going on truthfully within you. Right. You started to pay attention, you start to observe, you start to meditate. And they start to gain awareness as to those pillars, those pieces of, hmm, maybe I'm staying in this dynamic because it's what I feel I am worthy of. We will get right back to the episode, but first a quick share from our sponsor today, BetterHelp. At different inflection points in my own personal life and journey, I have had conversations with friends or coaches that provided a perspective shift that ended up leading into powerful pivots and choices in my life. And oftentimes just talking with somebody about what you're going through can make all of the difference. And so if you're someone that's listening to this right now and you're in a chapter of life where you're struggling with mental health, depression, anxiety, or you just feel like there's something holding you back from achieving your goals, then consider checking out BetterHelp. Their mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist um, in just a few days. And so the link in my description, betterhelp.com slash know thyself supports this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. Thank you, BetterHelp, for supporting this channel. Back to the episode. So I wanna speak into a little bit of how worthiness in our inner child work are kind of connected because we are always going to get a reflection in life, what we believe sure. we're fundamentally worthy of. Yes. And a lot of that worthiness originates from those inner child traumas. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so for me, when I when I teach on worthiness, and it is true, we get in life a direct reflection of what we believe we deserve. Um, a lot of it from my own experience and from what I have the intentions of helping other people do as well to kind of like mirror that is, healing shame. So shame is a is a is an emotion and also a belief that I'm broken, there's something wrong with me, I need to be fixed or there's this this energy there of that that vibration, that that feeling. And that is what blocks a lot of people from feeling worthy because they have this belief there, this unprocessed emotion from the past that says there's something wrong with me. So on one hand, it's like, I wanna be worthy of love. I wanna be worthy of abundance. I wanna be worthy of these things, but there's this deep-rooted childhood energy of I am broken, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Now for me, I would find myself in relationships or in different dynamics in my life where like I just would feel almost like, I, I wouldn't know where the energy came from, but I, it was just like, a feeling of not feeling worthy or not feeling enough. And when I looked at it within myself, I could kind of like look at my own childhood and see that there were certain things that happened in my childhood where the inner child version of me would then give certain things meaning because that version of Aaron didn't know that then would say, this is my fault. So like, for example, parents divorced when I was five years old. We know like as adults, like, oh, they, they probably divorced because they just weren't right for each other, you know? And we look at that and there's a big intellectual understanding of that. But there was an, a version of Aaron that was the inner child version of me that was like, mom and dad aren't working out. I must be doing something wrong. Maybe if I was enough, they would have stayed together. Maybe if I was different or if I was less of a burden, then maybe I could have mitigated this. Uh, if mom or dad wasn't emotionally or physically present when we were younger. We internalize that. There's something wrong mm -hmm. with me. I think it's really a point, just an important point to highlight there is that they happen in an unconscious manner. Yes. 
it's like we don't know why they're there. It's just that it's there. And yeah. And it's important to deal with it. And 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 also to build on that as well, it's like you don't need to know exactly what moment it happened. Like I can kind of hypothesize certain things. Like for example, when I was two or three years old, when I was two and a half, three years old, my brother was born. And when my brother was born, he had asthma and he got a lot of attention from my mom because he was always in the hospital. And in uh, actually there was like, I've had different deep levels of meditation where I was kind of able to, I wasn't consciously aware of this at all, but in meditation, it revealed to me that there was this feeling of around two or three years old. It's like, where's mom? Why am, why do I feel like neglected or why is there this energy there? And I grew up a lot with my brother who naturally got a lot of attention. Me not wanting to let the, like I've always had this thing with not letting the light shine on me too brightly feeling weird if like, if it's ever my birthday, like I would hardly celebrate birthdays because it would feel so weird to me when you got a whole bunch of friends around like, happy birthday. Mm -hmm. And I'd be, uh, you know, there was like this, this feeling of like not wanting to take up too much space because also I don't want to make other people feel small. This even like translated years later to after I got on YouTube, for example, um, I started, I got on YouTube and I started being successful. I started like, I moved out of like, uh, where I was living at the time and moved into my own place. And my brother came over for this family thing that we were doing. And I closed all the bedrooms in the house, except for my, except for my, you know, the master bedroom. And he came over and I lied to him and told him that I had roommates because I felt like he would have felt small if I was like, oh, this is all my house and this is all my furniture. So I was like, oh, but they're just not home right now. Like I literally felt guilty. I felt guilty being successful. And I felt guilty like he was like, I was gonna make him feel small. And that reminded me of much of my childhood because I wouldn't let the light get too much on me because he would feel smaller. So I would like shine it away from myself. And the reason I share that is because like there's these little minute ways in which we like mitigate these energies of what's familiar as a kid. And if we don't believe we're worthy of the light being shine on, shown on us, then a lot of it might be we don't like shine as much as we could. Mm -hmm. I think part of me, like we were talking before this podcast, it's like, man, you haven't done that many podcasts and stuff like that. Like just now, after being on YouTube for like seven years and growing a one and a half million subscriber audience or whatever, I have not really collaborated or, or like been on other people's podcasts that much because I'm like, I need to do it all myself. I don't want to be a burden to other people to like, like there was this, this subconscious thing going through my mind. And now I'm like, well, I'm, I'm like processing that and realizing, oh, that's just a that's just a familiar pattern from the past. I can actually let myself shine. There's like this feeling if I shine if I shine too brightly or get my message out there, I'll become egotistical or something. Or there's some fear around that. And recently, I've been more aware of this, and I'm like, oh, well, th the next stage for me really is like doing more podcasts. It's like go. It's like putting myself out there and, and even collaborating with other people in a way that is very, uh, that's just more fun and also more expansive. But childhood stuff echoes from the past sometimes. So to answer your question around the shame or around the, the worthiness stuff, I don't necessarily believe that what people need to do is is be like, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. You know, I think of it like a, like a baby. I use this analogy sometimes. But if you think of a baby, like what does a baby have to do to be worthy? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, the, the baby, the, well, does the baby need to not cry for a certain amount of time a day? You know, it's like, no, a baby's worthy because it just is, Yeah. right? It just is. Now you wouldn't put headphones on a baby and put like the affirmations on there, say, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. It makes, it's a silly, silly concept. 
You know, it's not so much that we need to believe I am worthy, I am worthy, I am worthy and reprogram ourselves. It's more so about just letting go and processing the shame, the belief that I'm broken or is something wrong with me and realizing also that as a kid, if you let yourself feel that emotion on the inside, you, cause what happens is if we don't want to feel shame, we, we, we like bury it deeper within our body. We then will develop personalities like people pleasing, right? Where it's like, I don't want people, I, don't, I can't be vulnerable with people because if they see the real me, they're gonna reject me. If I'm like a little bit abrasive or a little bit edgy, I don't wanna do that. So what do you like? Ha, I like that too. It's like this superficial energy that's keeping the shame intact because we don't want people to see it, which is why one of the biggest uh, antidotes to, to shame is vulnerability. Mm. It's having the courage to express the real you, having the courage to express yourself to someone else, having the courage to show the sides of you that you're afraid people are gonna reject you for. And as you lean more into that, it's like you start feeling more free. And then there is a side of this where you will polarize people. Right? right, that's a good thing. You don't want to be friends with everybody because if your friend, like you, you want to like let the people that really will resonate with the real you be more attracted to you, and by showing the real you, you will repel away the people that wouldn't resonate with the real you anyways. But this is a process of leaning into vulnerability, feeling the shame, and letting it be there, and then allowing yourself naturally, naturally rise up out of that. But I don't believe it's necessarily like, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. You, you right. start naturally feeling that once you let go of the other stuff. It's such a big paradox. We all desire fundamentally to feel connected to people, to share that yeah. authenticity. And yet we have all these behavioral compensations and patterns that keep us in our safe identity that there, it's like a barrier between us and authentically connecting yeah. with other. And so we think that people won't actually like us if we show our core vulnerabilities. But ironically, that's the very it's thing the that will, yeah, it's the very thing that will actually make you be able to connect with people, really. Yep, 100%. Yeah, it's funny. It's like uh, the thing that you're most afraid of happening, you actually get the opposite result. Like if you were to vulnerably express something to someone else that you've been holding in for a long time, you think they're gonna reject you, most likely they will either respect you more or they'll, they'll, they'll have more of an understanding of who the real you are or maybe you set boundaries with them, whatever it is, but it's like, it's the exact opposite. I remember like two years ago, I was living in Sedona and I was going through like really sinking more into my own masculinity. And I was looking at like a people pleaser pattern that I had acquired from my dad's side. My dad is it kind of like carries that energy. And it was funny because there was like this, this like energy inside of me that was afraid to like share certain things when like things would come up or to set boundaries with other people. Every time I would actually express it, it would result in more respect it would result in me feeling more confident. It would result in me feeling in my own frame when the belief was, if I do this, I'm gonna get like reject, like there's gonna, they're not gonna, I'm gonna cause tension because tension back in childhood when I was younger was bad. But tension isn't actually bad. Tension, tension is actually good. You know, tension is actually something you can settle in with more and more. Yeah. And we, then we labeled conflict as danger and unsafety. Right. Right, it, it maybe was in that in that context. You yep, know? and then and then as adults, we label everything with tension. You, yeah, you don't want to tell someone no to going out to something you don't want to go to. So instead, it's like I don't know, maybe I'll go, even though you know you're not going to. You know, that's why a big part of this process is is just becoming aware of the pattern within yourself and then making a new choice about who you are, but leaning towards vulnerability, which is opening the heart. You shine the light of awareness through vulnerability on the shame, and then it transforms mm. because you're becoming aware of it and you're, you're opening your heart. 
Ho'oponopono can be a very powerful tool for and, sure. And just releasing these things, right? Because once you have awareness, that's the first step. You can't heal what you're not aware of. Yeah. And then once you start to shed awareness on these things, then it's a process of that letting go and into forgiving. So how has that in particular been supported for you? Very powerful. There are so so a lot of the more esoteric teachings that I look into. I look into things like there's a book called Thought Forms, for example. Um, these old school. Do you good. like it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty a, good. It's interesting. It's a very interesting book that's about like you know the idea that thoughts have an energetic form, even though we can't energetically see it. But basically, I was going down this rabbit hole of learning these more esoteric concepts, and then eventually I learned about the process of Ho'oponopono, which is an ancient Hawaiian process that has to do with four simple statements, and there's like a science behind it too. So it's four simple statements. It's I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. You can say it in any order that you want. There's no really right or wrong way to do it. But basically what you do when you do this process is it mimics what the way they used to use it back in the day, but there's also a more modern version of it. So back in the day, what they would do is families in Hawaii that were having issues with each other, they would use this process between family systems. So different families would do this when there was conflict. And they'd say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And they would heal that energy. Uh, there was a, a, doc, a, a guy named Dr. Hugh Len, who more recently, within the last like 15, 20 years, more modernized it, modernized the process of Ho'oponopono, where instead of just for family systems, you use it as an individual for like any area of your life. And there's, uh, there's, there's a story that is explained from him and also people that like have researched his work, where back in the day in Hawaii, uh, back I think in like 2000-ish, that around that time, he was brought in as a doctor to like look at this uh, in a psych ward. And there were all these people in a psych ward where there was a certain energy in there where a lot of like the people that worked there, there was a really high turnover rate. People were constantly coming in and out. People were afraid for their life. Some people were like, they'd hide against the walls when like inmates would walk around because that's the kind of fear that was there. And what happened is he was inside that of the, uh, the, the psych ward and he would then start working. He'd start doing, doing his process where he would use Ho'oponopono. And some of these patients were on medication. Some of them were like in, soli in like solitary confinement and stuff. Within two years of working using Ho'oponopono, the inmates that were violent and the inmates that were there, many of them were transferred to other facilities. The vibe completely switched around to where there wasn't a high turnover rate. People were excited to go to work. Some of them were, were deemed normal and able to like go home and stuff, the less severe cases and stuff like that. There was a lot of healing that happened doing this process of Ho'oponopono. Now, the interesting thing is that Dr. Hugh Len never actually met these people face to face. He didn't have like them come into his office and like talk to him and and like like he would work with them and diagnose their trauma or anything like that. What he explained is that reality is just data. Other people in our reality are reflections of our own inner reality. So what he would do is he would go through people's files and he would go, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you. He would take 100% responsibility for their energy, even though some of them did crazy, heinous acts. But by taking the responsibility and healing his image of them, there was something about them that started to heal. Now, I did a little more research into this because that sounded a little bit too good to be true. I was like, there's no way he didn't talk to any of them. And to clarify, he did walk around and like talk to them at the facility and stuff. Like he went around and like would say hi and like be in the space, but he wasn't bringing them into an office and like psychoanalyzing them. Yeah. Nonetheless, 
it's considered this case where so many people healed and so many people had transformations. He never actually met them. And the reason he says is he doesn't have to because what he heals inside of himself also heals in them which then begs the question is what are other people in our reality? Could it be that other people, we have an image of who they are and as we heal ourselves, and as we take responsibility for whatever the triggers are inside of us, it then has an effect where it's like you don't perceive it in the other the other people. He says, and what, what is explained in, a, um, in this, like, this philosophy is that he says there's 15, 11 to 15 million bits of information around us at any given moment, but we can only perceive of 40 bits of information per second. So what happens is we're only perceiving of the version of people that we have active within ourselves or that we expect, but what if there are an infinite number of the people in our lives that we could be tapping into, but we're only getting the version that's in alignment with our story about them, with the unresolved energy that's inside of ourselves. So what he talks about with this process that, you know, this process has been around a lot, a long time is I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. It's around taking responsibility for whatever you're perceiving of. So I'm sorry. He was sorry for what other people that done heinous acts. It's like, why would I be sorry for what happened to them? But what you're sorry for is you're taking responsibility for your interpretation of it. Because if you can perceive of it, it's in you. So what you do is, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Is please forgive me. It's like it's like a, it's like your conversation with the divine. And as you're talking to the divine, please forgive me. Please let this go. And then it's, thank you. Thank you for releasing this energy. Thank you for clearing this out of me. Because if it's in, if you can perceive of it, it's in your energetic field. Think of it like we have an energy field around our body. And what happens is we have these like, these like, you could think of it like that thought form book, for example. There could be thought forms of the accumulated thoughts that you're thinking within your energetic field. And what happens is based on the active energy of the triggers and things, it activates that energy. Now, what happens is you're taking 100% responsibility for what's in your field. Even though that person is over there, just like my ex-stepmom left my life when I was 15 years old, that energy was still in my field. So I attracted a girlfriend that was controlling for five, four years. And then after that, a manager that was controlling for years, that energy was in my field. I could have stayed in blame and, and, you know, and, and part of it was probably like, I had a hard childhood and I identified with that. And I was like, why did I not have much of a childhood? So there was probably a part of my ego that like wanted to keep that energy alive, but at the expense of it, keeping it in my field. So I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you is me taking ownership of it me taking ownership of what happened to me when I was a kid, me taking ownership, not of what happened, but how I respond to what happened, how I uh, in, interact with my own energetic field. So I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you, is an energetic practice that I also, they, they say you can just say the words and it works. I tend to believe more so, I've seen the power of it more so when you really feel it, when you really feel it as you're saying it or you're thinking it. And so I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. And the interesting part about this is that then you start seeing reality differently because you'll do this and trippy stuff will happen. Like I've, I've done this at live events before and people share the craziest stories where they do this. And then like the next day, not even talking to someone else, like you could do this with like an ex or you could do this with somebody that's in your life that like you're having conflict with. The next day, they may reach out to you. They feel that energy, the energy is lifted and they may reach out to you. And it's like, I didn't talk to them. I haven't reached, I haven't talked to them in a year or something like that. Stuff like that happens as you release the energy from your field. It can cause a clearing to happen. It can cause more connection to happen in different ways. Like it's very powerful the way that it works, but it works because uh, 
you're taking ownership and responsibility for your own energetic field. And then forgiveness is the key to all raising of vibration, essentially. It's raising, it raises it to a much higher level. I love how you broke that down. I think it's such a powerful practice that anybody can integrate and it's so simple. It is so simple, so easy to apply in your life. And that healing can occur in the privacy of your own heart and mind. And you don't even have to, even though it can be beneficial to work through things in communication with another person, but you also can heal. You can take full ownership and responsibility like you're talking to within yourself and heal that and transmute that. It's that process of integration that we find real true transformation. I think in the process of people desiring to raise their vibration, we can fall there's the pitfall of trying to accumulate more and more and more information. Yeah. And it can be vain and it can um, actually be detrimental to our path if we're not applying it, integrating it, and becoming embodied with the knowledge that we're learning. Right. And so I feel like practices like this actually allow you to transmute and integrate those energies within yourself. And then you actually get the real transformation in your reality and you collapse time in many ways. And that new version of life and experience of reality becomes available to you, which is so exciting. But it yeah. has to come by virtue of you authentically exploring these things, not just... I'm going to do this so then I can experience this, you know, right. actually really collapsing those things within you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, so that process of integration and embodiment, like you spoke to a little bit earlier, as you start to free some of these things within you, it's just as much of claiming and choosing and deciding who you want to be and the yes. life you want to live on the other side of it. Yeah. So I think that's a really important topic to, to dive into furthermore because you went from being woman's shoe salesman to full-time whiteboard YouTube Jesus. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Simply, (laughs) That's funny. Simply from this decision of, I found something that's in alignment and integrity with who I want to be. You like that? Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Um, and, And then you went all in on it. Yeah. And I mean, you look back on, you know, connecting the dots, looking backwards, it's very obvious how you found a niche of something that really excites you up, that you're passionate about. You went and you worked hard. You got good at yeah. it. And later in this podcast, we can you know start to unpack a lot of these things that go into becoming a conscious creator and applying mm. your gifts into real abundance in the in the real world, which I'm excited to. But that process of taking making a decision and choosing something like you did, I think is just such an important thing to dive into because that then becomes the pivot in which you go in a different direction in life and gives yeah. you a new reality. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like the for me, there were a couple little things that happened that got me to the point of just making a decision. So like ultimately, putting yourself on a new timeline or starting to be a new version of yourself, it really can be as simple as making a new choice. Like making a new choice about who you are. And in 2017, in February, I made a choice. I am a full-time YouTuber. I'm not like, once I make 100 videos, once I have this many followers, then I'm a YouTuber. I just made a choice that this is who I am now. Leading up to that, though, there were a couple things that helped me make that choice. Now, first Mm -hmm. off, I want to point to this that you said. For a long time, I was manifesting from like the spiritual airy fairy kind of way, where I was just thinking about what I want. I would be like, oh, I want to attract this. And I would visualize it. And I remember at working with women's shoes, one time I met uh, like Sage Robbins. Like I met Tony Robbins' wife. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Maybe maybe I'll go to like a Tony Robbins conference or she'll invite me or something like that. And this will be so cool. And, and I'll get put on. I had this like entitlement where I was like, someone's going to put me on. Mm. So then like a, a month later, I'm. It was. this is kind of a funny full circle moment. 
A month later, I'm, uh, you know, in my in my department at, you know, Women's Shoes. This is before I made the daily videos or whatever. And up comes a guy that looks familiar, and he had like a woman, piece of women's clothes in his hand that he was buying for his wife. And we go into the back, and he pays with like this this black Amex, which is like so I knew about where selling women's shoes because they're expensive. I'm like, oh, this dude's this dude's uh, very successful, and it, it said Jack Canfield on it. And I'm like, oh, this is Jack Canfield. And then it, I got super like nerdy and I was like, oh my God, I love, you know, I love the movie The Secret. Like one day I'm gonna do what you do. It's so cheesy. I was like, one day I'm gonna do what you do. And he gave me his card. His business card said like, you know, it was his business card. He he did this thing in like Arizona. It was like $20,000 to become like a teacher. Like a, he teaches people how to speak, right? And I always knew I wanted to be a speaker. I wanted to like do stage work. I want to like have videos and stuff like that. And he gave me his card and he's like, oh, here, you can, you, I, I do this in, in, in Arizona. It's 20K. I did not have 20K, but I kept that card onto the side. But that was my way of, I was like, oh my God, I met him. Maybe something's going to happen. You know, he's going to, someone's going to meet me and see this potential in me and put me on. But then eventually, what happened is little things happened in my job to where I realized I don't want to be here. Like I, I, I looked around. I think this is a powerful process anyone can do where I started to associate pain with staying at the job, me just being passive. I looked around at the job selling women's shoes. I worked with like five or six other people in my department. Nothing wrong with selling women's shoes, by the way. I know people that sell women's shoes that love it and they're passionate about it. That just wasn't the case for most of the people I worked with. They hated it. They were just doing it to make a paycheck. And many of them were 20 years older than me. So I'm like, okay, if I stay here and I don't take action, this is my future. And that would, to me was like, that to me was like a kind of a wake up call. I'm like, well, I could just not do anything and wait for someone to put me on. And in 20 years, I could be working this job that I don't like just making ends meet. But that was one, that was one thing that like, you know, that, that kind of created a certain level of pain. Another one was, um, corporate because i think of my childhood with my ex stepmom and like the court like uh like how unfair things were all the jobs i had was very unfair maybe that's a lot a lot of corporate politics but basically the management at barney's new york was just very not much not fair they would talk down to people upper management had a lot of power and it like wasn't fair you know um one time, for example, what happens, I got brought up to the office and most, most of the work we did selling women's shoes was in our phones. Like we would text customers and stuff like that. And what we do is sometimes one of us would be on the sales floor, one of us would be in the back. And one time I was in the back and someone was on the sales floor. So the floor is being covered. It wasn't busy. So there'd be like, like hours that went by with no customers, but I was in the back and I was on my phone. Well, what happened was I get brought up to the office, the HR manager there, the store manager's there, the department manager's there. And they, they show this screen of me, of this video of me on camera on my phone for five minutes, you know, five minutes on my phone, which everyone did, but it was like, I guess it was, you know, they wanted to write me up for it. And after about a minute of watching this video, I was like, I get the point, just write me up. You know what I mean? They're like, no, we want it to sink in for you a little bit more. So it was this awkward silence as I'm sitting there with like three different managers watching me on my phone. I can see what I'm scrolling and what I'm looking at. It's super embarrassing. And in that moment, it was, I felt so demeaned and like so kind of like talked down to in a way that I just made a choice. I made a choice that from this point, like I will not have a boss telling me what to do one day soon. Like that was motivation for me. I'm like, screw this. I don't want to be talked down to like this. I don't want to be treated. And I don't, I don't want to have someone else that I work for that's telling me what to do. So about a month after that was when in February of 2017, I was, uh, actually in a meditation, and I had this feeling, is almost like a future version of me or something. I had this, this, this idea, this epiphany that if, it said, if you make a video a day for a year, your life will totally transform. So 
I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it was my higher self or a download or a future timeline. I have no freaking idea, but I felt it to be true. So what I did is I committed to daily videos from that point moving forward. Every day I would film a video, I would edit a video, I would schedule a video to go out the next day, I'd make the thumbnail and everything. And I did it all in the beginning because I didn't have money to like invest into like editors and all this stuff. Yeah. And I would do that every day while working a nine to five job, while working 30, 40, 35 hours a week selling women's shoes. Some days I'd get home because I, I worked in Vegas. Sometimes I'd get home at 11 or 12 at night. And then I would still film a video, edit it, schedule to go out the next day. Like I was committed. I was committed to that version of me. And after about two or three weeks of the daily videos, I had some videos start to pop. And then about a month in, I had a video that really started to pop. And all of a sudden I went from almost no subscribers, I, I like you know 600 subscribers or something when I started that, to all of a sudden uh, like 20,000. And then from there, I grew by 10 to 15,000 subs a month. And by August of uh, 2017, I had 100,000 on YouTube. And that was when I put my two weeks in. And my last day of having a nine to five job was the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight. I don't know if you remember that, but I, because I lived in Vegas, I wanted to work that day because it was commission two weeks before put in my two weeks. And it was a huge, incredible feeling of being able to like just quit working a nine to five job. And from that point moving forward, I made daily videos for like three years. I have all this time now. Like even if I made three videos a day, that's still like an hour. I'm used to being seven hours a day at this job that I freaking, that I wasn't passionate about, just like sitting there with no customers. I had all this time. And all of a sudden, it was like I was in this higher frequency version of me. But I wanna also say, you don't have to have it all figured out. I did not know how to edit. If you go watch my earliest YouTube video, it says like insert title here or something like that. It says like first blog post. I, I could not figure out how to edit, but I didn't let that hold me back from putting out my first video. Um, I felt really cringy on camera. I just kept doing it. And after the course of like a year or two, the videos got better and better. I didn't know I was gonna make videos on metaphysical concepts. My first video was on finding your purpose. My second video was on like habits. Like I just started making videos because that's who I chose to be. And then the audience kind of like, they resonated with some concepts more than others. And then I just realized, oh, this is like what people like to hear. And I would just share with where, where I was at. For example, we talk about raising your vibration and magnetic energy. I'd make videos back in the day. I'm not a baller living in some mansion house back in like 2017 that was like, look at me, I have everything you want. I would share with where I was at the time. So I'd be be like, okay, I went in, I have a sales commission job. I went in yesterday and uh, it's commissioned. So if I went into work and I was interacting with people and I had a certain amount that I wanted to make, like I wanna sell $5,000 worth of shoes because that's a certain number of commission, I'd get a certain result, right? If I had that strong intention, but then if I went in and instead I had the intention of adding value to other people, if I had the intention of having fun with other people, of elevating their emotion, if I had the intention of like, of like expressing different aspects of my personality, if I like had these other intentions, I would do way better. So I would share those on my YouTube channel. So you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be like, you don't have to be some guru at the top of the hill. Most of my YouTube channel has been built from sharing vulnerable stories that are kind of embarrassing or not cool to share. Like even sharing the ex-stepmom thing and sharing stories like that, like in, in my YouTube videos, it's like people hear that and they're like, oh, I feel like I, I know this person or they, they feel like they resonate with it because it's vulnerable. It's not cool. It's not like I am perfect. I have this going on. I, I share the parts of myself that a lot of people probably would be afraid to share, but that's probably why I have people that really resonate with my message. And I guess the reason I'm sharing that is just people listening to this, they can kind of take that and know that you don't have to be at the top of the mountain. You could just be like a tour guide 
helping people up the mountain. You just a couple steps, just like sharing what you're learning, but also raising your vibration and tied with like what I was sharing about like the commission job and what I learned. The more fun I would have, the more money I would make. My life is like that now. The more I do what I love, the more success comes. The more I enjoy my life, the better I feel. Like, have, like having more fun is a very powerful way of elevating your vibration. Instead of making it so serious, I have to get this much, I have to get this number. You know, what, it was funny, in the beginning of YouTube, I was just making videos because it was fun. Then what happens is you start getting momentum and you start building this thing. And then there's pressure to get views. There's pressure to like, to like, you know, get to, to maintain what's been created. And then everything like starts becoming more inauthentic and you start doing things because of the topics you think people want. I've had to constantly remind myself who I am, what I'm passionate about. The videos that do the best are the videos that I enjoy the most making. So it's like, that's my barometer now. Not what do I think the videos are gonna get the most views and stuff. So it's been a constant process of having fun, enjoying the process, and also like committing to a new version of myself. And there's probably something, anyone's watching this right now, there's probably something that you could commit to. And by committing to it, you put yourself on a new timeline, but you have to stay committed. It wasn't until three or four years later that I, I stopped making daily videos. Now I make one a week. But it's because I, I had all that momentum from back in the day. And that was just a way I wired in that highest vibrational version of me. And I wasn't doing it just because of the subscribers and what I would get. I was doing it because it's who I choose to be. It's an end of itself, which I think is very important when it comes to raising vibration. It's using your joy as, a, as your compass very much so. Mm. It's finding those things that truly light you up. And then the universe will give you tests on that journey to really show up as the person you say that you want to become. You yeah. know, it's like you can give, you get like small, intuitive, quiet, maybe whispers or, or voices um, that like point you in this direction of like, you know what, I feel like I want to do this or make a video every year. I don't know what's going to happen from it. On my own journey, when I was like working with Logan and when I was at that time mm. at the house, I think there was a lot of things that were exciting, fun, rewarding, and yet it wasn't in full alignment with what I wanted to be yeah. creating. And so there comes a point where it's like, okay, your comfort zone starts to become your discomfort zone because, yeah. and then it becomes more painful to stay where you're at than actually leap into into the new unknown, right? And it right. is an unknown. Yep. And Terrence McKenna has that quote of like, magic is done by hurling yourself into the abyss and realizing it's a feather bed. You're like, I, I'm going to leave what is comfort, what is known into this new area that is exciting, yeah. that is joyful. And um, and then it becomes that process of like you spoke to, devoting, really committing yourself and also learning those complementary ancillary skill sets yeah. that support you making your desire and your passions really go full time. Yeah. Because, you know, you have this desire of educating and sharing, you know, all these different topics that you're passionate about and you find joy in exploring. And yet, if you didn't eventually get good at editing, of making thumbnails, of eventually online marketing and, and these different things that support you, then your business and your success wouldn't nearly be as big. So I think it's really important to understand yeah. what are those complementary skill sets that you want that would be supportive in developing along that process of self-actualization. 100%. Yeah, it's important. It's important to look at those skills and to, uh, to also switch your mentality about it because when you work a nine to five job, you're being told what to do, even if you don't like it. I did not like being told what to do, but there was something weirdly enough that felt safe about it, yeah. right? So all of a sudden I'm like, when I started making the videos, I had to be my own motivator. I had to be, no one was gonna be over my ass like, you need to make a video for tomorrow. I was that version for myself instead of a manager telling me what to do. So the the initiative also comes from understanding you can be very resourceful. You can say like, you can let something stop you. Like, well, I don't know how to edit. There's YouTube. 
You go on YouTube and you can learn how to edit in like 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Like for whatever program you have, like be resourceful in the sense that there's information out there to figure all of this stuff out. And if you can't figure that out, then it's like, it's, it's like that you have to learn how to do those little things to then realize you start changing your identity. I would say the daily videos that I started making on YouTube, making the daily videos, more than anything, it switched my identity about myself. Mm. I started to see myself as somebody that could have a vision and, and like work towards something. I saw myself as someone that adds value out into the world. That was something that very much drives me. It's like, I wanna add value. I wanna, I believe the more value I add in the world, the more that it comes back and the more that I can build a bigger system to add more value. That's like a belief that I have. But also it's like having that awareness of that energy, I think is so important for where you're going, motivating yourself and understanding that you can be resourceful to figure everything out because other people have done it. There's more resources on the internet than ever before, but it's important It's important to get out of that nine to five job mentality of someone telling you what to do for you to then be the initiator. And as you do, you will change your identity. You'll start to see yourself differently. And people would ask me like six months into making daily videos, Aaron, how do you make videos every day on YouTube? It's crazy. And I was like, I don't know. Like. This is just who I am. Like I don't. It's not hard, mm. but because it's my identity, it's natural for me. So it's, it's important that for sure, I'm a parts of the journey. It will feel hard, but when you really find alignment and something that you're here to bring, it actually will feel easeful. And yeah. doing, you know, spending hours every single day working on videos doesn't feel like a job. It feels like your excitement. Right. And when you find that alignment, I feel like the universe just like pats you on your back and gives you more resources to support you. It's For like sure. when you find that alignment, the universe just flows and, and provides abundance when you discover that nature, because as your nature is, so is the nature around you. Life in the world, earth is abundant yep. and you are a part of nature. And yeah. so discovering that part is, is really powerful. And then you, you got to get good, right? Like it's God may give you a gift, but it's mm. upon you to unwrap the gift and to actually cultivate that commitment over a sustained yep. period of time. That aligned action will allow you to become sufficient, proficient, masterful at what you're going to create. And then you become one of the best people at what you're here to do and what you're here to bring. Right. And that's when the audiences grow. That's when the, you know, the yeah. money comes in, the opportunities show up. And, uh, and so you committing for that period of however many years and for you making a video every single day, like, let's not overlook that here. That's right. a huge, that's a huge piece to, um, shifting your own identity, like you said, but then also just getting good at it. Cause a video yeah. one to video 10 to video a thousand is going to be way big, yeah. you know, difference in, in quality and in, in how people, you know, find your content as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been, it's been a journey because now, even as I've been on YouTube for six years now, now I'm shifting into an even different identity. Yeah. Right. And there's been a lot of challenge when it comes to letting go of like being known as the YouTuber that's making videos. Now it's like live events in person type stuff, which is a different version of me, which is like the more I get on stage, the more I, I'm interacting with people, it, it changes my sense of identity the more that I do it. It's the same thing though. I'm like stepping into a new version of me. I'm afraid, like I was afraid to let go of the nine to five job because what if it doesn't work out? It's like, what if I let go of like making as many videos? Will the, you like what'll happen with the channel? Like there's that natural ingrained fear. So a big, there's many levels that this is an ongoing process always happening, you know? Mm. Has there been times where the identity of being like a spiritual teacher has gotten in the way of acknowledging your human shadow? As you start to become a teacher and you're known for somebody who's an educator in the space of spirituality, yeah. then yeah, has there been moments where like there's the spiritual ego that has arisen or or how have you related to that in other people? I'll be honest, 
I drink plant medicine a couple times a year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that helps me really stay humble. Mm. Um, I've, I think one of the, the biggest challenges I've had with becoming bigger and like having more even reach on YouTube and stuff is because I have been afraid of the drawbacks of that ego, of that spiritual ego even. It's like, look at me, I'm on YouTube. Now, when I go out in public and if I meet people from my audience and stuff like that, I'm not someone that like gets energy from that in the sense like, oh, I'm worthy. Yes, people recognize me, stuff like that. Like I've always known that that's not me. Like I'm not the person that like gets filled up with like people giving me a lot of attention. Cause if anything, like I have that childhood thing where like I avoid it, you know? Yeah. Um, but for me, a big part of the process has been remembering that my connection to spirit flows through my, my video. I watch, if I were to go back and watch my 1800 YouTube videos, I don't remember half the stuff I said. Now I'm not saying, I'm all I'm saying is like an energy flows through me when I make videos cause I've never scripted a video. Like everything comes in the moment. I, back in the day, I would just have the video topic. I would have that video topic. And then I would have like maybe, you know, three things to do X, Y, Z, right? I go to bed, I would know the topic. I'd wake up the next day, push the butt on the camera, go. I would like download it in my, in my dreams. Like I know it sounds esoteric, but like that's my flow. Every day I'd make a video I would just let the information flow through. And I just knew that this information is dependent upon my ability to express it, non attached to my ego. So like, if I were to ever be like, I am Aaron Dowdy, spiritual YouTuber with this on Instagram or whatever, and like want and get something out of like, uh, Morrison, like I do love the passion of being on stage. I love the passion of expressing myself right now. But beyond that, if my ego were to like, like need more and more of it or like get something out of it, I believe that that energy would be cut off. Like, like it would be, it would, I would go through something, it'd be cut off or something like that. Um, so I have like a strong desire to stay in alignment because one, I believe that like, it's my only option unless I want the energy flow to get cut off or, uh, and I guess plant medicine, ayahuasca two times a year, is has been very I've been done that for like five or six years now, or just twice a year I drink. And when I do, it's uh it's it's a very powerful way of staying humble. Mm. You know, you you can't get you can't let too many things get through the cracks if you were to drink ayahuasca. <laughs> you know? So um that's another safeguard. And also the people I surround myself with. I surround myself with amazing people um that would that would check you. Would check me exactly. Yeah. So I I believe that with all those systems in place, it helps. But even now, like when I when I meet people, like people see me a certain way because of my YouTube channel and stuff like that. But not that I don't see myself in a, in a good light because I do. But I don't see myself as like I don't know. I think it's it's just different. I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't see myself like For that. Sure. I, I like I kind of enjoy being more relatable and and yeah. kind of being more connected with people and stuff like that versus being like, I am awesome. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really me. Yeah. It's, it's energy that flows through. And I believe we all have, by the way, everything I said with the channeling and all that stuff, we all do it when we're in a flow state. You do it when you're in a flow state, when you're doing your podcast. Like, you probably don't know where half the ideas come or the questions come from. It's from you getting in the state and you opening yourself up to, to do this kind of work, you know, and everyone has the ability to do it. So I'm not special I just believe when you put yourself to be a vessel of the universe, it sends you more of that energy. It like works through you. But the moment you're like, I am awesome and I am the, I am God, like I am this, that's when you get slapped on the hand. That's when things happen. So it's it's very important to like become aware of that and have a dedication too to being as humble mm. as possible or to have people in your life that check you or you know yeah. any of those things that I mentioned. 
it's like that flow of water that goes through a hose. If there's like a, you know, if somebody steps on it, the the output becomes much less. The stepping on it is an analogy to like our ego and our identity of who we think we are. And the more that we identify as the person who's doing the thing instead of the, the vessel in which the energy is flowing through, yep. the information is flowing through, then we restrict and constrict the amount of information that can kind of, you know, flow through us. And yeah. so, you know, especially you, the topics of conversation that you're having in your videos, like I would assume that also is a big contributor. You're talking about these ideas of right. dissolution of ego and inner child healing. Like they're also powerful reminders for, for yourself as well. For sure. I want to touch on spiral dynamics a little bit here. Okay, because let's do it. <laughs> I think as you start to go on this journey, you realize how there are these stages and different stages of, of consciousness that become available to you. And the more that you kind of rise up, the more that you can see these different stages that you've been on personally, but then also in relating to the world around you. And it becomes a really powerful framework for understanding the various different levels of human consciousness that one yeah. can inhabit. When I first discovered like, uh, the integration of kind of spiral dynamics and a lot of Western psychotherapy and Eastern traditions from Ken Wilber, I found it to be like a really powerful mm. framework to start to understand how the human mind and spirit kind of flows and works and evolves. Yeah. And with that understanding, you gain access to a framework that is so powerful when relating to others and then also to your own process on that journey. And so, yeah, do you want to, sh to share a little bit about what has been your journey with spiral dynamics and how understanding of these different colors that kind of represent yeah. stages of consciousness can go hand in hand to how you perceive whatever's happening in life? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me, there's these different systems of understanding vibration and whether it's like power versus force, you know, the scale of consciousness or it's spiral dynamics, there's different levels that help identify not only where our own consciousness is, but understanding mass groups of people, understanding people in your family, understanding why you have different values. And what spiral dynamics essentially is, is a way for understanding different levels of consciousness in the realm of values, value systems of what people value. And it's correlated with different colors. Now the colors aren't necessarily meant to be like in color of like purple's the highest vibration and red's the lowest one. Um, it's, it doesn't really have a correlation there, but understanding these different colors, there's a certain uh, values that each of these colors have that then help you understand people in your family, help you understand different organizations, different, you know, the, the level of teachings. So you can also understand your audience more. That's a, that's another way that I've, very, it's very much helped me understand where am I helping people go from? What color into what other color, you know? Yeah. So just as a very brief, you know, there's videos online and there's books and all this stuff about it that go much more into detail. But like in my group of friends, there's a lot of times we'll talk about the different colors. Oh, this is very blue. This is very orange. This is very green. This is very yellow, you know? Um, blue is a level of consciousness that's very much about conformity. It's very much about religion. Organized religion falls within the blue. It's uh, people that find safety in doing what other people are doing. So blue is very much um, democracy, very blue. I mean, there's many analogy or many like things that can like kind of express itself through the blue lens. Uh, but blue is very much about conformity and um, religion and tradition and things like that. Above blue is orange. Orange is success. It's science. It's, um, it's that of uh, capitalism. 
It's uh, working out and going to the gym. You know, it's orange is like that level of also it's more independent. So every level that goes up, it goes from community to individual, community to individual. And there's these fluctuations through society even that we go through. And there's different countries that have a different color that they may embody. And that's why when you go to different places, there's a different level of color that, that might be active. Like I went to New York last week. I was in New York for a week. Extremely orange place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's masculine. It's crazy. It's busy. It's stimulating. Yeah, um, it's like the epicenter of using your willpower to create. For sure, 100%. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what a lot of orange orange is. Orange is like that willpower. And um, so you got blue and then you got orange and each level as you go up, you take with it the information that you learn below it. Mm -hmm. So once you're once you're orange, you remember what it's like to be blue. You remember what it's like to, to have this gravity in blue where you find safety and conformity and re religion, all of that stuff. Um, so that's orange. Like just kind of giving a, a quick taste to everyone that's listening right now of, of what these yeah. things are. Above orange is green. Green is more flowy. Green is plant medicine. Green is being vegan. Green is community and connection to each other. It's um, we're all one consciousness. It's a lot of you know a lot of the the, the content that we share is very green, um, and it's uh, it's something where people want to feel connected to each other. It's where a lot of times, if you think about it, you might have someone that grew up in like a blue mentality where uh, the parents like, this is the, you know, this is the religion you believe in, this is who you are, and you kind of like do what you're told, and then eventually you might get into business. You might start thinking, you might start thinking for yourself, get into business, build a business, and then what happens is 20, 30 years you do that, and then eventually what happens, a lot of people become philanthropists. They wanna give back, they wanna give back, and philanthropy is like green, right? They wanna give back. You evolve through these colors, you evolve through the stages, as you move up. Now, what happens is once you're in a certain stage, your values are different than every other stage and you believe your values are correct. So if you are super religious and in blue, and none of these are right or wrong, by the way. None of these are right or wrong. They're just ways of understanding different levels of consciousness. Um, if you're in blue and you're like, well, this is the way, this is the way things are, um, you see someone that's in orange that may trigger you. You may, all these capitalists are making money, they're hurting the environment, this, that. Um, and then and then the hippie person that's in green, oh, that person will trigger you too. It's like, oh, they're so, so ah, there's like this, this energy that triggers them. You know what I mean? That kind of energy. And that's how you know there's like a, dis, there's like a, a separation between those energies uh, based on the energy someone's embodying. And they say that in general, we may have a certain gravity, but we may also have certain aspects of our life that kind of like move between these different levels. Now, the main point though, is that between that of blue, between that of orange and green, when you're in those colors, you think your way is right. If you're green and you're vegan, this is the right way to go about it. This, this other levels are destructive. They're hurting the environment. Uh, a lot of times then greens also look to orange and be like, they're hurting the environment, you know? This is the wrong way to go about it. Um, and even below blue, there's red, which is more like, you know, there was time in our society when red is like Game of Thrones, yeah. you know? Red, like narcissism, thinking. red. Yeah. What'd you say? Like very like magic, magical thinking. That's more, that's even more purple. Oh, below. Purple, purple is below red. And they're magical, they're like magical thinking, you know, there's still tribes on the planet that live in, in purple, yeah. you know? And then below that is beige, beige is baby. Beige is like, you can't care for yourself. It's like caveman or baby status, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And then, uh, but the most relatable to our society, I would say is probably blue, orange, green. Above that though is yellow. Yellow is the is uh, a stage that's called flex flow. When you're in yellow, it's kind of like you understand in a way that beliefs create reality and you understand all these other levels because you were once there. And what happens is, is you, you, you see that they are like you, you more so develop systems to help like increase the level of consciousness and stuff like that. It's more about systems thinking. And in that yellow level of consciousness, you realize it's not necessarily that this one's right, this one's wrong. You, you see that they're just different perspectives. Now, one common thing I will recognize or I'll say that this is something I did. I was in more like blue orange. I skipped up to green when I went through my awakening and I hadn't properly balanced out or integrated orange. So this happens a lot with spirituality, right? You become spiritual. Oh, I'm all about love. The love is the currency and this is who I am. But there's like, there's, there was never a mastering of, of understanding abundance and money and the system in our reality that we use to like energy exchange, right? So in 2012, when I went through my awakening, I shifted up to green and I was like, screw the system. Money's a control faction is all this stuff. And I went through this whole phase where like, I didn't like money. I didn't want money. I didn't like it. It's a control factor that's used on the planet. And I skipped orange and in a way spiritually bypassed it because I had all these triggers around it because I was now in, in green. But what I had to do is I eventually had to go down to orange and I had to integrate orange properly, which meant having a healthy relationship with abundance, having a healthy relationship to the systems of adding value out into the world. So I say that it's probably something, it's maybe something that some people at certain points can can identify with because I did and I see it happen a lot, but it's like we we jump a level and we don't properly integrate the bottom levels. But the the reason this helps too is you can then look at people in your family and understand why they are where they are. It's not like, we don't necessarily need to have like a spiritual ego about it. Like you're blue, huh? so low vibe, you know? <laughs> but like my dad, for example, is very blue. He's a fire investigator. He likes politics. He likes um, he likes that of, you know, like, you know, watches the news and sports and stuff like that, which are all very blue activities, you know? And he never has maybe really understood what I do over here, like making YouTube videos and stuff like that. And it helps me understand where he's at to where it's it's kind of hard for maybe someone in blue. And just now, like, it's funny. I, I showed my dad the show Shark Tank back in the day. And at first he's like, what is this show, Shark Tank? I don't want it on. I'm like, it's awesome. Watch Shark Tank, you know? <laughs> and then eventually he's like, he's like obsessed with Shark Tank. And I'm like, that's my dad's blue starting to dip his toes in orange. Hmm. He's like, hmm, Shark Tank, business, stuff like that, you know? Um, so it's kind of funny to see people go through the different, on the spiral to go through these different levels, but understanding my family, understanding, uh, relationships and the people you attract, you know, like there's different drawbacks, there's different benefits and, and like negative side effects of different colors. There's a toxic and a healthy side of every color. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like understanding these levels helps you understand people, helps you understand your audience of where most people are. Um, helps you understand why some people like anytime I'm in my com anytime I'm in my YouTube comments and I see someone not in a judgmental way I'm like you're just low vibe but like somebody that like you know really is triggered by what I say in my YouTube videos that maybe as a certain like religious viewpoint and anything I do is like the devil you know I understand it's just a different level of I don't have to take it personal like right. oh my god there's something wrong with me yeah it's a it's just blue it's a blue mentality that someone resonates with that's being expressed yeah. and and put onto a, a comment section. Yeah. 
it's it's important to have that understanding as they are simply different levels of consciousness. It's not to use as a framework to create more judgment and division within yeah. the reality of pointing fingers or saying that you're lower than me or I'm higher yep. than you. You can have different states of experience. Like you can taste what the experience what might be like at a higher stage of consciousness without actually arriving there, but you can't embody a higher stage of consciousness yeah. um, overnight. Like it's it's more of a gradual process, right? You might have an experience through deep meditation, maybe people at church or through a plant medicine where you have a feeling of like inner luminosity and you feel like yep. inherent interconnectedness with all life. But if you're at a certain stage of consciousness, you're going to interpret that experience according to the stage of consciousness you're at as for example, a specific deity speaking to you, or right. you know, your Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, being the one in which uh, is the gateway to that experience solely, you know, or, or the many different interpretations yeah. that could come from that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's important it's, to. Yeah, it's just an important distinction, and uh, and then you can also see. I mean. So the colors that Spiral Dynamics gives is actually different from the original framework from Ken Wilbur that I first learned because he kind of puts it actually from like red all oh, the way he does. to ultra, ultraviolet. Um, but he correlates and, 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 you know, puts them all together as well. Um, but I feel, I feel like that framework is a little bit more understandable from like red because it's kind of just like the rainbow of human right, consciousness. Yeah, yeah. You can go when it jumps around, it can get a little confusing. Easy to remember. But yeah, easier to remember. Um, but it is just such a helpful tool in that, in that process. Um, and for people that want to dive deeper, there are many different videos and books. We can, for sure. We can Lots of YouTube videos and books. To, to read upon to like understand you know the different levels and how that can help you integrate or like interact with other people mm -hmm. amazing dude we covered a lot of really powerful topics that i feel like have been both important on on both of our past and in our journeys yeah. of, of self-actualization and what i really just desire with this show is for people to tune in and to feel like they have companions and friends yeah. on, on on the journey sharing reflections and insights that have been helpful to us that can hopefully be supportive to people on their path and um, and so I'm just curious for you, is there anything else that um, that you'd really love to dive into that you feel like is on your heart that you feel like would be supportive to share before we kind of start to wrap this up? Uh, actually, there's something I feel could help a lot of people that we can maybe dive into quickly yeah. if we have time for it. We do. Um, so there's this concept that I've been, I've just noticed has had such an impact with my audience and like at live events and stuff like that. But it's this idea of understanding self versus other. So self versus other, I think a lot of times what happens in the spiritual community is we get people that are very empathic, people that can feel other people's energy, very green type thing, right? But you could feel other people's energy. And sometimes what happens is there is sometimes something from childhood that happened where there was a feeling of maybe it's not safe when I was a kid. So as a survival mechanism, we then gain this ability to empathically really tap into other people. Whereas certain level of empathy is healthy, I believe, of course. The other side of that, of course, is narcissism, which is very much a lack of empathy. Um, but there's this one concept or this one thing that I've noticed like has helped so many people and it has to do with understanding being in your own frame being in your own frame of reality and understanding a healthy connection between self versus other. So what happens is when we look at this of, let's say like a lot of empaths will attract themselves to narcissists. It's this like attraction where empaths and narcissists tend to attract each other. And what happens is they're opposite sides of the spectrum. So empaths 
have a lot of where they can feel other people's energy. There are a lot of other. They can feel other people's energy, and a lot of times it's like I must kind of like mitigate myself to help other people feel no tension so they can feel a certain way, and there's this like big openness. On the other side of that, they tend to attract narcissists. Narcissists are very much all about self. They're all about me. They will manipulate things in order to get reality to be the way they want and manipulate people to get them what they want, which ultimately a lot of times is a deeper, they want to feel validated or they want their reality to be validated. And they're kind of like brushing up against maybe a form of abandonment wound. On the other side of that though, it's a similar wound. It's just the difference between an empath and a narcissist is the empath is I will give by being very empathic and being very open in order to get validation, approval, or the safety of someone else's frame. Whereas the narcissist says, I will take. I will take it and use it and I, you will, I will manipulate your gaslight you in order to get it. They're both in order to get their needs met though. So one thing that I wanted to share is around a very simple process that people can use in order to, in a way, individuate from mom and dad. Because what happens is, as empaths, a lot of times there was a feeling of not individuating, it not being safe to be different as a kid, not being safe to have your own perspectives, your own opinions. So then what happens as a little kid, your energy fields expands to include mom and dad. So that then it's like, if mom and dad are happy, then I feel safe. So then you go through life and it's like, is everyone else good? Because otherwise I can't feel safe. And that's when an empath then has the troubles because then they can't set boundaries. They don't know where they begin and where they end. They don't know what they are allowed to say no to. Um, and they're, they're super afraid to like give tension. But a very powerful practice to do is to bring the energy back inside of the body and to actually focus on the separation between you and another object. So the frame technique is something that I've shared on YouTube. I have a YouTube video on it. I've had people at live events that have told me the craziest stories. This one lady stood up at my last live event and said that she did, she was going through a divorce with a narcissist who they have a kid together and he was threatening her. He was like, listen, I'm gonna take the kid. I'm gonna take the house. You're gonna be nothing, blah, 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 blah. And normally her past self would kind of like crumble and be like, okay. For her doing the frame technique, feeling inside of her body and feeling the separation between her and a candle flame, feeling that safety inside of her body and like being in her own frame, she said what happened is within a month of doing that, she was in her own power. She went and told this the, the, the guy that she was with that she was gonna divorce from, you can do all of this. I will take you to court. I will do blah, 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 blah. And she like stood up for herself. And he then just completely surrendered and was like, I'll make, the, I'll make it easy for you. Like it completely switched her dynamic around because she stood up in her own power instead of being allowed to be gaslit or abused by some narcissistic dude. And he came from her being in her own frame and feeling the separation between her and a candle flame, her and the person. So much in spirituality is like, we're all connected. We're all one consciousness. And while that is true, what empaths need to hear sometimes is that you are all connected, but also you are an individual. And if you didn't properly individuate from mom and dad as a kid, you may be still tuned to mom and dad and you may be attracting people into your life that reflect back that energy. So individuating is about tapping into your own body. It's about feeling and asking yourself, who am I? What do I want? What am I passionate about? What do I value? Do I wanna go to this party? Do I wanna do this thing? Is this, how does this feel for me? Because so many empaths don't tap into their body, they tune to other. So the frame technique is really simple. Stare at a candle flame. On the in-breath, what you do is you take a deep breath in, 
And as you do, you focus on the separation between you and the flame and you focus very intently on the flame. And on the out breath, when you let go, you then keep your eye on the flame, but you focus on the peripheral. So you just kind of soften your gaze to focus on the peripheral. And you wanna think of like, there's ones and zeros, kind of like the matrix. There's ones, one is self, one is self. And think of like one inside the flame and then zero everywhere else. And as you soften the gaze, you start to feel safe within your own body. You start to feel the brim of your body and other people. And instead of that flame, you can imagine someone else. You can imagine a person and literally like clearing your energetic cords and like feeling the, the separation between you and them, you start to feel safe inside your own body. As you feel safe in your own body and you feel the emotions that come up, you start to be more in tune with who you are as an individual. You start to be in your own frame of reality. When you're, on, when you're in your own frame of reality, you're more magnetic, you're more confident, it's easier to set boundaries. You don't feel guilty for what other people want you to do or you don't feel guilty for setting boundaries because you realize that's their stuff, not yours. You realize that there's a separation here that you never knew was there because in childhood, your energy field expanded to include everybody. So the frame technique is probably the thing that when I do meet people or do live events that like is so surprising to people because it's such a simple practice, but it's feeling the separation between you and a flame. And as you do that, or you and a person or you and an object could be anything, it could be a glass of water. But as you do that, you start to feel safe in your own body. And as you feel safe in your own body, you notice that you, you start existing differently in the world. I remember when I first did this, I was in Sedona and I went for a hike and I, I started becoming aware of this. This is like two years ago when I was like shedding that people pleaser mentality that I got like from my dad's side of the family. And I'd walk around and I, I noticed that walking on this hike, like there was this part of me that's like, felt like I had to greet people to say hi, because like, that's what you do, right? And there was, I, I started to become aware of that pattern within myself. I'm like, if I don't feel like saying hi, and I know it's the nice thing to do, but I, I was like, I don't wanna be nice. I wanna be kind if it feels authentic, but there's times I don't feel like doing that. What I would do is I would walk and as I was passing people, I just feel safe in my own body. I'd feel the separation between me and them. It's crazy. The kind, the way people respond to that. Like people are like, it's like, it's magnetic. Um, when I first le learned like the side of this as well, I went to a place in Costa Rica f back in 2017 before I was really getting on YouTube and stuff. And there was this teacher that was talking about energy. She was like a, a doctor that had a TED talk and she was teaching about energy. And she did this thing at the front of the room where what she did is she had everyone send energy to the front of the room, send energy to the front of the room, send energy to the front of the room. And as people would do that, she's like, you could feel like you wanna back up. It's like repulsive. She says, okay, now everyone bring the energy back into your body, bring it back into your body, bring it back into your body. And as she do that, she said, you could feel this, this like magnetized energy back into the crowd where she like could feel a gravity into the crowd. And I always remembered that, that always stuck with me. And now the frame technique is so related to that, but I do these at my live events and I have people like get into groups to do this with each other. And it's just so magnetic to do that because then you start feeling safe in your own body you are more magnetic, you know who you are, you choose your own values, you aren't feeling guilty for other people's emotions and stuff because you realize it's not your job to regulate other people's nervous systems. And as you do, you then start, and ironically, as you realize it's not your job and you start to regulate your own nervous system, that's how you regulate other people's nervous systems. You just, you're, you're calm, you're in your own energy, you're in your own frame. So that's one of the thing I wanted to share because it's probably the thing that's so simple that I've seen change so many people's lives that I think it add value to people just by simply focusing on a candle, feeling the separation on the in-breath and on the out-breath, feeling the oneness and the connection in the peripheral.
that's uh, it's a p- very powerful tool. I've, I mean, it's, it kind of originates from like a zazen technique, yes. correct? Yes. The the teacher that taught me it had like a double PhD in Carl, like some type of psychology, but he always talked to me about zazen. Uh-huh. So I, it's good that I hear you say that. I should look more into zazen. Yeah, but uh, no, it's, it's powerful. Um, what you do with your awareness while you're concentrating on a certain subject, there's many different things that you can do, right? That yeah. allow you to come into proper relation with self and with with things around you. If you have this people pleaser energy, you're always going to be like we spoke to earlier, attracting people who feel like they need to be pleased by you. Or yeah. if you feel like you should be oppressed, you're going to attract an oppressor, yeah. right? And it, I have so much compassion for people and you know, even experiencing this within my own, you know, mother or father dynamics. Like I, I understand how this is, it's, it's a deep root as to why people attract those, you know, very heinous, horrible things in their reality. And I have a lot of compassion for them. Um, but once you start to gain that space and that awareness as to what those patterns are, then you can come into proper relation. Yeah, Like you spoke to earlier, you collapse that energy and then you become a match to a completely different reality in life. Yeah. And, and that's really beautiful. 100%. Yeah. So, man, we touched on so many topics of how we can actually become the person we need to be in order to attract the life we really desire and not this kind of new age, think a better thought um, kind of paradigm that um, can actually be very disempowering. And I think is maybe important at a certain stage of development, but then you, as you start to even raise up on that rung of spiral dynamics, you start to see how... uh, it's more about how you authentically hold yourself with yourself in the privacy yeah. of your own heart when you're alone. And uh, that has huge ripples on the world, man. So uh, it's so beautiful to see the way that you're sharing yourself. I really Thank feel you. like the way that you uh, break things down into, you can see the effectiveness of a teacher in the simplicity of how they share ideas and how really uh, people can actually receive it. And so I'm glad that you're doing more in-person stuff now because I think that it's really amazing for us to have the access to the web and, and digital age and sharing concepts online for the amount of reach that we can have. Yeah. But I feel like real transformation comes in the in-person things. You know, yeah. it's 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 a much level, uh, it's a much higher degree of of impact that you can have when you're with people, you're doing the practices, you're immersing yourself in those events. So I'm just stoked to see the continual evolution of how you're sharing, and um, definitely uh, stoked to see you on more podcasts. And yeah. Dude, it's it's been such an honor having you here today. It's been so fun jamming. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and this yeah. is like definitely something I want to do more. You know what I yeah. mean? Like podcasts and just having a conversation. Yeah. So we'll we'll also link down below everywhere you can find Aaron uh, events that you have coming up as well. Like we'll we'll cool, link thank to all you. that. Yeah. And is there anything else you want to share before we wrap? No. Um. Just yeah, I have a YouTube channel that I I, I post once a week on now. Not every day, but that. Instagram and then uh, yeah, upcoming live events is going to be the focus this coming year. And the thing I'm really passionate about is guided meditation experiences, meditations, guided meditations that help us get to the subconscious mind. Group energy to me is like extraordinarily fascinating because when you get people in mind heart coherence in a group, it's like a popcorn effect. People start popping, and that's what I'm really passionate about experimenting with and learning is how to create safe containers. Most of a life transformational experience is all about say people feeling safe. And then energy comes up and they're able to go into meditations and practices that like really transform. And that's where my focus is right now. It's on live events and helping people transform in person. And yeah, this next year is going to be really exciting for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't wait. I mean, I know firsthand from those uh, those moments where you actually are in a big group of individual from, you know, a smaller like does a group of dozen people to hundreds or thousands eventually. Yeah. And you tap into that coherence of the same vibration, then like, 
mystical things start to become available in those they spaces. Do. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's you cool ha- I'm just curious before wrapping up, do you have like a really wild mystical experience that you haven't shared before? Um, just, Whether in relation to your own personal journey, extraterrestrials, like just any, uh, any, anything that you want to share? Because I'm curious. I just feel like I want to ask that before we wrap up. Um, I've had mystical experience happen in 2012 when I like, when I like went through my awakening where I was doing very esoteric things. Like I, I became very ungrounded in 2012 where I started like meditating a lot. I became, I went vegan like immediately, lost all this weight and like my life really shifted. But I was like doing this sun gazing thing and I remember um, kind of going into a meditation and when I woke up, there was like this, I kind of like woke up and there was like these, this almost like something out of the Wizard of Oz, some type of like bird bean or something. And it flew down at me and then like whooshed away. And to this day, I don't know if that was a dream. It was so visceral and real and kind of like, I, I don't understand what it is. Um, that was something that's like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> and then ET stuff. I mean, I, I live in Sedona, so there's definitely <laughs> meditations and interesting. I do a lot of my work in the dream time. Like I'm very active subconscious mind. I love dreaming. And I've had very profound dreams and stuff like that. But as far as mm. like individual I'll think about that. <laughs> yeah. Bird being's pretty cool. Bird being's pretty cool. Yeah, that that was something that I I definitely remember. Um, uh, yeah. There's, yeah. Were you thinking about sharing something? I could share something. It's kind of out there. Go for it. We can always cut something. When my mom, okay, when my mom, when my mom was pregnant with me, yeah, it's gonna sound kind of weird, but anyways, my mom, um, when she was pregnant with me, she has this memory that to this day she could explain to you like it happened yesterday. She was with my dad and she was pregnant with me. And what happened was uh, she woke up and she was on this like table and she was like on that. She could not move from her neck down. And what happened was she was just lying there and uh, she like looked over. She could barely move her neck. And she saw these really tall, like 10 foot tall beans that were working on her. All they, they were they they were making no noises, but they were talking telepathically. She said like that she she could just feel that, and they were moving utensils and stuff. And she was like scared, but like looked looked the other side, and then kind of like went back to bed. And she remembers it so clearly, like it happened. She she said they were wearing like these like skin tight like like suits and stuff like that. And they were blue beans. And she remembers it like it happened yesterday. And she never told my dad because my dad was like a fire investigator. He thought she was crazy. But to this day, she told me that a long time ago. And then I don't know if you know who Bashar is. Yeah. I, I went to I went to Bashar for a private reading once and I asked him about that. And he said, she said that uh, what he said it was, was that when I was born, there was a miscarriage before I was born. And she said, he said that it had something to do with the energy not being right for like my mom to carry me or something because of some reason. And then that was like to help modify something during the pregnancy with me to help me come through. Now, I'm not saying that to make me sound special or like <laughs> some, I think there's a lot of people that have been like that abduction thing. A lot of people have had experiences like that. Um, it happens a lot. Like if you've heard stories about it and stuff yeah. like in the in esoteric media and stuff like that. Yeah. But in general, I know that's weird. I was reluctant to share it. There's but been yeah. more. There's been more weird things okay, shared cool, on this cool. podcast. You're in good, yeah, you're in okay. good space. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> so what do I share? We don't draw the line at blue beings. Okay, you know? cool. Yeah, that was that was interesting. And then when I went through my awakening in 2012, I definitely felt a connection to like 
the stars and yeah. stuff, and I never understood it. But I'm not one of those people that's like, I'm a star seed right. that like wants to leave here. Like yeah. it's more so, I, I like being on earth, you know what I mean, as yeah. well. So I think it's the purpose right Just now. Just being real and authentic to whatever your experience is, I think is, is super, super valuable. And yeah. uh, everything we talked about goes hand in hand with that today, man. Cool. Thank you, bro. Thank you Thank for you, sharing man. yourself. <laughs> this, is, this has been fun. I like how you shot that question at the I know. end. <laughs> it's like, hey. Any weird esoteric things that have happened to you? It's like, oh. <laughs> Signing off the podcast, but aliens though. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> that's funny. Oh, so good. All right. Well, everybody that's been tuning into this episode of the Know Thyself Podcast, thank you for coming on this journey. Everywhere you can find Aaron will be linked down in the description below. And if you found something that was particularly resonant with you, transformative on this show, let us know in the comments. We share clips on social media and uh, we'd love to hear that stuff. Until next time, thank you so much and be well.